Hello and welcome. You are listening to a recording provided for the use of those who are blind and print impaired. Materials or items read on AIRSLA are the copyrighted property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. Thank you and please enjoy. Hello and welcome to Airs LA for your U.S. News and World Report. My name is Shane Masterson. Today we're going to be reading an article by Paul D. Schinkman titled, Putin Defends Brutal Campaign in Ukraine as Global Condemnation Grows. The Russian leader attempted to justify his decision to begin a brutal and bloody assault on Ukraine while also expressing some recognition of the threats to his own grip on power. Today is March 17th. This article was written yesterday on March 16th. Um, let's get right into it, right? Uh, President Vladimir Putin put forward a comprehensive, if disjointed, defense of Russia's bloody assault on Ukraine three weeks after it began in apparent recognition of growing international outrage at the brutality of the campaign. In lengthy remarks Wednesday before a meeting about socioeconomic support for Russian citizens, Putin lobbed familiar claims at growing international condemnation for the military campaign he launched on a scale unseen on the continent since World War II, while also appearing to shift some of the responsibility for it. He offered, for example, that the character of the military assault to include indiscriminate shelling of civilian centers and facilities, such as maternity wards, originated within the Russian military and the general staff. Putin asserted Russia has no interest in occupying the former Soviet state and the seat of Russian's ethnic history. He claimed that Ukraine would pose a nuclear threat to Russia and that it has been ruled by a neo-Nazi regime. He repeated debunked theories that Pentagon-funded biolabs in Ukraine pose a threat to Russian citizens, and he cited discredited accusations that Kyiv has backed a genocidal campaign against ethnic Russians in the eastern region, known as Donbass, where Russia has supported an ongoing separatist conflict for eight years. Quote, we simply weren't left with any options to peacefully solve the problems arising through no fault of ours, Putin said, according to a translation of his remarks. And employing the term he has insisted his countrymen use in peace of war, he added, we were simply forced to launch a special military operation. He deferred to the Russian military and its leadership for the tactics they have employed in Ukraine, but said that it had fully justified itself. Putin appealed to ordinary Westerners in claiming that the countries uh, that their countries have ignored ongoing genocide against ethnic Russians in the Donbass region without pro- without providing evidence of such atrocities. And seemingly acknowledging new political fronts he faces at home, he put forward troubling language about the need for cleansing the nation um, against those who do not support the Kremlin's policy. Putin's lengthy remarks took place while his Ukrainian counterpart, Vladimir Zelensky, simultaneously addressed the U.S. Congress, offering an emotional plea for new forms of support to break the burgeoning stalemate. He showed the assembled lawmakers a video juxtaposing pre-war scenes of life in Ukraine against the horrors of the prior three weeks to include mass displacement, urban destruction, and brutal deaths, particularly among women and children. Several leading lawmakers expressed disgust at the scenes Zelensky outlined and offered new support for his requests. Specifically, that the U.S. dramatically increased the defensive weaponry Ukraine needs to defend against Russian airstrikes and artillery barrages. It is clear that more must be done to assist Ukraine and hold Putin to account, Senator Jean Shaheen, a New Hampshire Democrat, said in a statement following Zelensky's virtual address. The images we watched today underscore the horrific violence, the war crimes being committed by Putin. He will pay for what he has done. And many in Washington have grown more earnest in their overt support for the U.S. strategies that could weaken Putin's autocratic grip on Russia and help speed up his political demise. It's time for him to go. He's a war criminal, Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, an erstwhile standard bearer for the Republican Party's Reagan-era foreign policies, told reporters shortly after Zelensky's address. 
I am asking the Russian people to rise up and end his reign of terror. Though many on both sides of the political divide, including Graham, have supported President Joe Biden's hesitancy to enforce a NATO-backed no-fly zone over Ukraine, fearing the potential for an escalation of war between the West and Russia, many believe the U.S. should do much more to increase the potency of Ukraine's military defense against the Russian assault and ramp up pressure on Putin. Biden acknowledged those concerns in a public address on Wednesday before signing a budget bill that also affords billions of dollars worth of emergency aid to Ukraine. Quote, that's our goal. Make Putin pay the price, weaken his position while strengthening the hand of Ukrainians on the battlefield and at the negotiating table, Biden said. He announced that the U.S. would send more anti-aircraft and anti-armor weapons as well as drones to Ukraine to assist in defense against Russia, while simultaneously threatening Putin with pr protracting a military conflict that has already prompted unusual acts of dissent among Russians. And Ukraine's existing defenses have already surprised the Kremlin as much as the West, undercutting prior assessments that Russia could win a war within Ukraine in Ukraine within days. Instead, Moscow has not accomplished any of its objectives going into its third week of warfare, the Pentagon assesses, and many of its troops remain bogged down without clear plans for resupply or reinforcement. In an act of apparent desperation, Putin has redeployed Russian forces previously stationed as far away as the Pacific and offered an open appeal for assistance from mercenaries and other foreign fighters, particularly from Syria, where Russia's military support successfully propped up the, region, the regime of Bashar Assad following more than a decade of civil conflict and insurgent warfare. Yet Russia retains 90% of its fighting power in Ukraine, according to a U.S. Defense Department assessment presented to reporters on Wednesday, leaving Putin on the precipice of a quagmire he could still avoid. Quote, Putin has no incentive to retreat and will use Russia's current advantage in mass and firepower to gain territory, even if it means losing a lot of its own people. Anna Borshvesskaya, a senior fellow in the Washington Institute for Near East Policy, wrote in an analysis note on Tuesday. Borshevskaya argues that the U.S. needs to move beyond avoiding the worst-case scenarios in Ukraine, an open conflict between NATO and Russia, and consider other strategies that would force Russia to believe it will fall into the kind of entrenchment in Ukraine it was largely able to avoid in its similarly brazen campaign to prop up Assad in Syria. Ukraine is not another Syria for Vladimir Putin, but rather than celebrating that Putin has already lost... The West needs to focus on how it can truly win, how to give Putin a loss he cannot come back from, she writes. Others have advocated for U.S. contributions to airlift operations to Ukraine that could help stem the growing humanitarian crisis there. Vladimir Putin would either consent and facilitate distribution of supplies or provoke more denunciations of Russia for its inhumanity, the Hudson's Institute's Douglas Feith and John Hanna wrote in an analysis note. Even if criticism doesn't move him, his top lieutenants may worry about their image and their vulnerability to war crimes trials. This proposal may aggravate whatever divisions exist within Mr. Putin's team and trigger further anti-war sentiment among ordinary Russians. Though it remains unclear how eager Putin has become to find some sort of exit from the protracted conflict, his government has stepped up diplomatic and political efforts to negotiate some sort of face-saving settlement with Ukraine. Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov told RBC News on Wednesday that both sides are close to some sort of neutrality deal for Ukraine that he said could address Russia's concerns about its aspirations and a lot to align more closely with Western military powers. Quote, it may take a protracted, bloody stalemate to convince Putin to revise his war aims, but history provides many examples of neutrality. Audrey Kurth Cronin, founding director of the Center for Security, Innovation, and New Technology at American University, wrote in an op-ed to the Washington Post about the potential for an official policy of neutrality in Kyiv. Perhaps someday, Ukraine will provide another. Thank you so much for listening uh, to Airs LA. Again, it is March 17th. Uh, the article was written on March 16th. I am Shane Masterson. 
Uh, yeah, this was Airs LA. I hope to see you again. Thank you so much for listening.